Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 269. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to review and discuss Elemental. This movie is, it's, it's so interesting to sit and discuss Elemental because upon its initial release, right, it looked like it was a box office bomb. That was, you know, a lot of people pointed out, oh, Disney's not going to recover at the box office from this one. Now it's Pixar. It's not doing well. But the amazing thing about this movie is that it was like the little engine that could, and it kept chugging along and like sneakily made back like almost half a billion dollars at the box office. I think a lot of that had to do with the overseas uh, numbers, but like became a big time sleeper hit for Disney this year. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about the rest of their roster, I mean, not only did they really need this, but commercially, it would have been one of the biggest films of the year. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this one because you and I had seen it in theaters and we were, I think the biggest takeaway, we were blown away by the animation just because it's so stunning. Yeah. But there was something that we felt a little off about and we couldn't tell if it was the plot or if it was characters. There was just something that we weren't jiving with. And it's not to say that we didn't like it. We just didn't love, love it. Um, so it's been one that I've been really looking forward to revisiting, really watching and focusing in on a lot more. And you know, hoping that I uncover more and more things because there is so much to enjoy about this film. Yeah, that was our big takeaway walking away the first time. We said it's okay, it's good, it's middle of the road, um, but has our opinion changed? Upon rewatches, have we been able to pull a little bit more from it or are we kind of stagnant in how we feel about the movie? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crewneck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code monoreal at checkout visit fiercefoxdesignco.com to check out all of the collections we meet bernie and cinder lumen two fire elements who leave their home in fireland uh, to head to element city upon their arrival they struggle to find a home as the other elements water land and air openly reject fire they find a broken down building which bernie restores and they give birth to their daughter ember the family turns the building into a store called the fireplace a convenience store that caters to fire elements and they set up their blue flame this is all in fire town as the years go on, Ember grows up knowing that she will one day take over the store, but her fiery temper keeps her from doing so. Bernie gives Ember a shot to run the store on her own, but when needy customers get the best of her, she runs into the basement and has a fiery outburst that bursts the pipes and floods the basement with water. Wade Ripple, a water element and city inspector, gets sucked into the store and writes tickets for faulty plumbing and for the lack of permits when Bernie initially restored the building. He goes to City Hall to file the reports where we learn that the shop will be shut down for violations. 
After pleading her case, Wade and Ember head to Cyclone Stadium to speak to his boss, Gail Cumulus, after the Big Windbreakers playoff game. When Gail mentions that the pipes had previously been shut off, Wade says that he will e uh, that he will investigate the leak. Um, because that's how he got sucked into the pipes to begin with. There was a leak at the city canals and he got pulled in. So she agrees to destroy the tickets if Wade and Ember can successfully find the source of the leak. They are given one week to figure this out. And as they begin to investigate, a budding romance starts to form. When they find a hole in the dam of the canal, they initially fill it with sandbags. But when the sandbags fail, Ember turns the sand into glass and successfully seals the leak. Wade brings Ember to a family dinner at the Ripple's luxury apartment. And when a water pitcher breaks, Ember repairs it with a pitcher of her own, impressing Wade's mother, Brooke, who calls in a favor to suggest Ember for a glassmaking internship. While playing the crying game... Wade gets Ember to cry for the first time after he admits his feelings for her. Ember then realizes it is not her dream to take over her father's shop. Bernie, however, announces that he is ready to retire and hand the store over to Ember. When Wade takes Ember to the now-flooded Garden Central Station to see a vist, uh, vivisteria flower which can survive in any element, they see that they can touch each other without harming each other. And this was a flower that she had always wanted to see, but because fire was rejected, she was previously unable to do so. They dance, but remembering how her father forbids any interaction with water elements, Ember ends their relationship. At the reopening of the store, Wade arrives to confess his love for Ember and accidentally exposes the fact that she had burst the pipes because previously her father had assumed that water had more or less just infiltrated the previously shut down pipes in a means of sort of sabotaging the business. Um, now, despite... Cinder, sensing true love between them, Bernie rejects the notion that the two of them belong together and takes back the store from Ember. When the new seal on the dam breaks, Firetown is flooded. With the blue flame in danger, Wade sacrifices himself and evaporates into the chimney to help Ember save the flame. Ember plays the crying game and confesses her love for Wade, which brings him back because now he is crying and he is dripping out of the chimney. They kiss. Bernie decides to retire, handing the store over to friends who will run it on his behalf. And Ember and Wade leave Element City so that she can start her internship. We mentioned before um, the animation. And I'm just going to get this out of the way right now. Otherwise, I'm going to be on repeat. This is some of the best animation in the history of cinema. Hands down. And I think that this is some of the best world building since Zootopia. I'm glad you bring up Zootopia because while Zootopia is a Disney film, not a Pixar, I feel like as far as the world building and especially the city goes, that is the most obvious comp. I think stylistically, as far as the um, color palette goes, though, this is very similar to Inside Out. And and you do kind of get that world building too, like as far as each of Riley's islands in her head. Yeah. Um, but what truly sets this apart though is that where Inside Out sort of personifies the emotions, uh, the team, Peter Son, the director, who is Pixar royalty, um, even though he did do The Good Dinosaur, uh, 
he gets a second chance with this story. Um, his directive was that he didn't want to put fire or water over a person. He wants these characters to be the elements. And I can't even imagine what a massive undertaking that was um, to figure out how to make them move. Um, I mean, there is a really, really great documentary on Disney Plus about it. Uh, it's about 40 minutes long about how they uh, they actually did. Well, it, that's more um, story-wise, how yeah. Peter Son came up with this, and it's sort of a tribute to his parents. But uh, Disney Plus actually does have some extra features, and uh, it shows how they did these character builds. And even for Ember, they did some 2D animation so that... Um, they needed to. They needed to flatten her to figure out how the fire was going to move. Um, so I just thought it was so cool how they managed to bring them to life. And um, not just the characters in and of themselves. The whole the whole city is just absolutely incredible. And um, I think as far as the rewatchability factor, that's what's going to keep people coming back for more is because it's just so gorgeous. I think from the start, the film is incredibly well paced. I love... You know, it's that tongue-in-cheek Pixar, right? Where Bernie and Cinder come from Fireland. So first, they're calling it Fireland is just fantastic. But they're playing on the idea of, like, this Ellis Island, right? They're coming. They're immigrating over. They have very little money to their name, and they're trying to set up their new life. It's the American dream, right? So I love that they play on that idea. I love that they don't speak the language, so they are just given names, not unlike what would happen at Ellis Island, but the tongue-in-cheek of Bernie and Cinder. Yes. Like, off the rip, really good. And they do a great job, too, of planting the bias, right? The prejudice that yes. exists. Without it being too over the top. Um, but they do a good job of planting the, anti, the anti-fire sentiment and the anti-water sentiment very early. Yeah, this setup is really something else. I think that they were very smart to just make these characters a parallel of the human experience and not focus on any type of culture that is immigrating to another place. Um, even though Peter Son, the director, is Korean, he was very strategic about not making it his own story. Like there is personal experience injected into every frame of this film. Um, but he manages to communicate it in such a way that everybody can identify with this because especially here in the United States, we are a melting pot. So I think that there was something that everybody could identify with no matter where it is that you're from. Um, and I want to touch on what you said about setting up the bias because I thought that this was done so well. Not only, I'm sorry, listeners, we did two back-to-back -back episodes this weekend. It was 40 degrees. This was following coming in from New York and I am on the struggle bus today. So please don't judge us if you're a new listener on, on how this sounds because uh, I'm trying my best here <laughs> to not lose my voice. We have you propped up like Weekend at Bernie's right now. <laughs> how I feel. Anyway, it's visually stunning, but there are so many cues to the bias that you mentioned because three out of the four elements are working in harmony. Um, but even before that, even before you see how they built the city together, um, you know, Ember's parents are coming in on this little rinky dink boat and you see every other element traveling with such opulence. There's these big ships that water is coming in on 
the blimps that the clouds are coming in on, even land that was the third wave of immigration um, is coming in, you know, in these big vehicles. Um, so they really are setting up how much the cards are going to be stacked against them from the jump. Um, so then we get the birth of Ember, which I think this was done quite intentional. It feels very Lion King, where her father puts the blue flame on her. She sneezes. It's the sneeze that does it, I yeah. think. Yeah, it is. Um, and they do a really great job developing her early with the temper. Because at first, you just think that she's like a spunky little kid. But you see, as she gets older, it's a little bit more aggressive. It's a little bit more aggressive. And her father is very mild-mannered and is trying to explain to her as to why it is that she is not quite ready to take over the shop. So they move it very quick. You know everything you need to know about her going into the movie, and you know exactly what her big struggle is going to be. Another thing that I noticed um, that I had missed entirely the first time, as early as helping her dad in the shop uh, as a younger child, you see her flair for the arts. Um, like when the kid orders a pop and she's like, I got it, and she does the glass blow and she sort of sculpts it to look like him. Yeah. Um, and that was something when I caught it this time, I really appreciated it because upon first viewing, when we came out of the theaters, one of the things that I didn't love was that, you know, obviously the whole arc is going to be that Wade brings it out of her that this is not her dream and that she is only doing this to live out her parents' dream um, and sort of pay it back to them. Um but what I sort of bumped on was that she didn't really have a passion for anything else. So there wasn't that, um, you know, she didn't have like a combative nature because it wasn't like, all right, I'm going to take over the shop, but I'd rather be doing A, B, or C. She didn't have to say it overtly. It's just always been there. Like even when she does have the episode where she explodes because she's so angry she mends the glass right away in the counter that she broke. So they do a really great job of sprinkling that in throughout, even though it wasn't hardcore, you know, it wasn't like high school musical. I have to do this one thing, but I really want to do this. So I think that that was a really smart way to go about this here. The only thing that I wish they had done a little bit differently, you get this really quick beat of the grandmother's dying wish that, uh, Ember marry fire, um, I kind of wish that she had been more a part of the story because I feel like having that third generation would have raised the stakes a little bit more. And I know that that wasn't a part of the father's story because his parents sort of disowned him when he went to pursue his dream. But I feel like it would have layered this a little bit more as far as Ember goes because it's just that added pressure of somebody else who gave something up for you and now you feel like you have to follow the path that they want for you. The problem with that, though, is that her grandparents didn't give up anything. Her parents did. And if you had that moment where you gave us the character that we fell in love with just to watch him die like we do in so many Disney films, it's just Coco and Moana again fair i don't think that you could and it, it honestly made it funny 
like it's there for comedy purposes. It's not supposed to make you feel anything other than a laugh. No, it's nothing like Grandma Coco. But what I think was also a really smart choice about going about it this way is that you didn't have somebody from the fire community pursuing her like there wasn't anyone around her age that her mother was trying to play matchmaker with instead you get Claude who is just so hilarious he's this younger kid and he keeps you know he's sprouting new flowers and he keeps giving them to Ember um I think that this was so much funnier than like the fire version of Gaston exactly I don't think that you needed that um her mother being a a, a like a matchmaker um it's a little on the nose yes i mean i i think that you could have achieved it without that being like her source of income and having that set up in the shop i think that you could have just had her being a nudge yeah you know you didn't necessarily need and and i feel like that also sort of goes against what they are trying to set up like wouldn't you think that when they're establishing this business she's going to be pitching in more she's going to be helping clean she's going to be helping stock the shelves like I thought this was going to be more of an all hands on deck story so I feel like that's just a little disjointed that she's got like her own side hustle happening when they could have wrote to that anyway the fact of the matter is you didn't need to have her mother as a matchmaker I I don't believe you didn't need these moments where Wade and Ember are like against all odds showing that the elements can mix because you know from watching the trailer that that's what this movie is going to be about. Right. So here's the thing. Like, I think from the adult perspective, um, opposites attract, but they're not supposed to work, but they do. It's a little formulaic for an adult. I think for a kid, it makes the idea very approachable i think it's very understandable oh yeah so i think that it works i don't know that it's going to transcend i think it tells a good a good story and teaches a great lesson i'm not sure that an adult is going to enjoy the plot as much as a kid is going to because it seems predictable but where they save it for the adults are lines like get off your lazy ash like (laughs) yeah because it's it stood out to me that this movie has a pg rating and most of them don't there's not an overt amount of violence in the movie and there's not bad language in the movie um but i guess a couple of those little lines again that tongue-in-cheek pixar humor that's made to make the adults laugh I think that's where it got a PG rating. Realistically, this this really is like a G-rated film. But I think that's where, as an adult, other than appreciating the beautiful animation, I think that's where your big takeaway is. But with that being said, that's where I don't think you really needed the mother to be the matchmaker. You shouldn't have to work that hard to push the message across the finish line when we know that's where this is going to go anyway. Right. But I mean, I think that that's also to your point why adults sort of feel like we've seen this story before, because this is sort of a Romeo and Juliet story for a kid though. I think this is a brilliant sort of dip your toes in the water for that kind of thing. I totally agree. 
I mean, certainly not as violent as Romeo and Juliet, but I mean, at the end, spoiler alert, Wade does die technically. So, you know, there, there are a lot of parallels. I'm sure that was not the filmmaker's intention, but they're there. It's hard to ignore them. Yeah. So we have Ember explode. She bursts the pipes. And we get introduced to Wade. Before we talk about Wade, though, I feel like this is something that I sort of bump on a little bit. I feel like these customers that were there for her open, you know, this is her test run. Her dad says, you open the shop tomorrow. And it's sort of everything all at once. They're having their red tag sale. And you have like every kind of... I mean, if you've worked in retail or if you've worked in a restaurant, you know, every kind of nightmare customer all at once. I feel like these could have been sprinkled throughout the montage a little bit more because anything that made her explode prior, like the kid that wanted the the buy one, get one free, but just the free spark yeah. um, or the other woman that um, something was wrong with the food. I feel like that's kind of like run of the mill. That's stuff that you're going to have to deal with. You're going to have to learn to deal with if you're taking over the shop. This was like a perfect storm of a nightmare situation. And I think for her to boil over, we needed to see these planted and sprinkled a little bit more earlier on. It's, it's a lot all at once, especially because she just bails. Like, I know she doesn't want to explode in front of them, but she runs downstairs. Like, they're already trying to take things for free. What do you think is going to happen if you turn your back and you go downstairs? Yeah. But back to Wade's entrance. Um, I love how he comes in buff. I think that's hysterical. It's very funny. Um, And that he kind of shakes it out and then becomes the Wade that we know him as for the rest of the film. How did you feel about this as an introduction, though, that he just happened to get sucked into a random pipe when he was investigating a leak at a canal? At first, I thought it was super convenient, but I think that they really managed to bring it full circle. I agree. Especially when, you know, they get into his father and he's just sort of going from job to job and Ember later calls him out about privilege. Like, he doesn't necessarily have a passion. He's just kind of punching the clock. What I did bump on more so at first was all of the crying. Like, oh, I get it. Yes. He's water. It's a sight gag. But when we first saw this, I was like, how is this supposed to be our leading man? How am I supposed to root for them as a couple when he falls to pieces every three seconds? And, you know, she's she's got to fall in love with this guy. And I'm, I'm just not seeing it. You know, and I'm not saying you have to be like some strong leading man, but... It was borderline annoying, and I was like, oh, this is going to be rough. But the light bulb finally went on for me when I was watching how they designed these characters and that Peterson requested, you know, don't just draw the water over Wade. Make him be the water. I was like, water is transparent. Wade is transparent. That's why he falls to pieces. He's got his heart on his sleeve, and... I really didn't love how he's sitting there crying, which contradicts that he's writing her up because he obviously feels bad about it and he's got a thing for her. So like, wouldn't you kind of bend the rules for her a little bit? But that's also part of his transparency is that he's got to carry out the job. He's just going to do it no matter what he might be feeling. The other thing is they don't play on the idea that all water has this inability to keep it together. It seems like it's Correct. just his family. Correct. Obviously, it pays off 
at the end with the second round of the crying game. Um, but upon the initial viewing, before we get to the end of the film where it pays off, yes, he was the least convincing leading man that I think we've ever seen in a Pixar film. Um, now, let's move on to the playoff game at the stadium. Well, before that, we do get a flashback and we see the actual immigration when uh, Ember's parents came over and him parting ways with his parents. I feel like that was kind of a bit rushed. I, I kind of need more of a reason for them to leave than a storm that took out the fire shop in their hometown. Like, I just kind of feel like they took their ball and went home. Like, why not try and rebuild? And and I mean, I, I get it. For timing's sake, you can't see the whole story of, like, you know, they're going to try to rebuild or they don't have the funds or they put their, their entire life savings into it or whatever the case may be. But I just feel like it sort of happens too quickly. I agree. And I think that you needed a reason for them to come to Element City. For sure. They could have just done this shop in Fireland. What was it that brought them there? The That whole thing was so that we could see that Bernie's father did not give him the bow <clears throat> of approval upon their uh, exit from Fireland. Right. Which obviously becomes a major plot point later on. I also think that we could have seen this at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. I, I mean, I get they were trying to pace it up a little bit and get us into the setting and the world building, so it might have felt like it was dragging, but being that it does go so fast anyway, why not see the full thing play out and their journey of coming to Element City? Um, so you brought up the game. Yeah. This is where I feel like Wade contradicts himself a little bit more because, yes, he is transparent, but he's so by the book when it comes to the citations that he's giving Ember. There are 30, as we're about to learn. Her reaction is incredible. Why does he think it's a good idea to bother his boss on her PTO? I don't know. I can't say that I would be very thrilled if one of my employees had done this, but this was their way of showing off some animation. It absolutely was because when the water does the wave... It, the whole thing is just brilliant. It is. But this is another instance where, like, Disney's trying to figure out a way to make their own version of Quidditch. <laughs> that's what it is. So that's what they're doing here. Um, airball. I mean, typically in basketball, an airball's not something that you want. In this case, airball is the entire game. The windbreakers. Like... I'd like to think that we're talking about a jacket, but I don't think that we are. No, because they're playing the crop dusters. Yeah, I know. Come on now. It's it's not my taste when it comes to humor, but I think that it's still creative and good for kids. I was going to say, for a kid's movie, I'm willing to look the other way on that one. Like, if, if it was in something maybe like an Inside Out that's like maybe slightly more mature, then I'd be like, all right, come on, find something else. But... I think it worked. I thought it was pretty funny. But I like Gail. Gail's funny. She's she's a great character to get introduced to. But yeah, I I agree. I, I feel like there was another opportunity for us to to meet her. 
Um, Because it just seems like this playoff game leads the entire city to shut down. Right. You know, like, everybody's getting out of City Hall early, and they're going to this game. I find it impossible to believe that there wouldn't have been somebody else there that could have handled this, but... It is what it is. No, and I think it also would have lent to how hard of a struggle Ember has going into Element City because we see how difficult it is for her on the subway. But if she didn't have Wade, and I think the idea was also to set up that he's willing to really go to these great lengths for her because this is like pretty basic for some of the rest of the things that he does throughout the course of this film. But I think it would have been more interesting to see Ember off on her own trying to navigate uh, through the city and sort of sleuth Gale out and all the difficulty that she um, she's going to encounter just because she's fire. Yeah. Um, they give them a week to figure out how to seal this leak. Typically when you do that, you, you kind of bring it down to like the last dying moments. Like we know that they're going to figure it out, but you sort of, like, build to that. I don't feel like they necessarily did that here. I feel like she gave them a week, and we don't necessarily have a very clear timeline as to how long it took for them to figure this out, but it seems like they figured it out kind of fast. It seemed like the sandbags, although temporary, they figured that one out very fast, and then she sealed it again. I just feel like when you give us a hard timeline, and yet we don't know exactly how long it took to fix the problem but it seems kind of quick I feel like we needed to play with that a little bit more I agree and I think that there are also some scenes that could have been shuffled around in a different order to push the story forward a little bit more because I feel like this is where we sort of run into some pacing issues um, to your point, I do think that a lot of this was in service of just getting this balloon ride to happen. Again, stunning animation. You know, why not utilize the city from a bird's eye view and show how gorgeous, you know, the city is at night and the animators took such care of lighting the windows in the correct way. Um, you know, it was certainly worth doing as far as the visuals go, but, um, what I sort of bump on here is that she just tells Wade, let's go up to the roof and Ember constructs, constructs the balloon. We've seen her be resourceful, but we've seen her do it with glass. How did you know that this piece of steel was going to fly? You know, that, that seemed a little bit of a reach, but to me it is sort of all worth it for one of the best thematic lines of the movie that we get here, which is embrace the light while it burns. So eloquent, so beautiful. Um, I, I really love that. I love that line. I love that moment. This is all in service to, to build this romance. And I'm going to say this right now. My biggest issue coming out of the first viewing of the film was that I did not buy them as an item. I still don't. And I think my problem, as much as I like her as an individual character, my problem is Ember. She's in until she's not. And then she's in, but then she's not. But not really, but yes. 
it's if there's too much flip flop, it's unmotivated flip flop, and I don't, I do not buy them as an item together. That's, they're they're not believable. That's what I meant when I was saying I feel like this would have benefit from shuffling a couple of scenes around a little bit because she rejects him like twice and in really mean ways. So I feel like when he's already done so much to win you over, I get that you're scared. I get that you're putting your family first, but I think that that's why I don't buy them because she's just pushing him away a little bit too hard. And I feel like that's also something that is sort of contradictory about her character because she loses her temper so quickly, but she's very resourceful and a quick problem solver. So why doesn't, why isn't that applied to her relationship with Wade when she realizes that she is starting to have feelings for him? You know, she's able to figure out everything else. So why not maybe think about if there is a way to take a chance on this guy? Right. And it seems like every time she does convince herself of that, she talks herself out of it very conveniently. Right. And they, they also do that through the use of flashback because we do get the scene where um, she's telling Wade um, that her father took her to see the Vivisteria and um, they were turned away. They couldn't go. Right. And I feel like this sort of goes back to what I was saying before about showing how difficult things are for fire in this city. Um, And it would have benefit from another scene where Ember sort of has to figure this out on her own because this is really the biggest example of discrimination that we see Ember experience when they're turned away from the flower. Right. We've seen we've seen it tenfold with her parents, but this is where she starts to understand that she is being perceived as the other. And when she's telling Wade about what happened, that's sort of her reason for hesitating as far as entering a relationship with him. Meanwhile, the relationship itself has been working. He's been fully supporting you. And his boss thought that you were a couple. So nothing that is happening currently proves otherwise. Are we ready to talk about the family dinner that Wade invites her to? Well, there's one more thing that I want to talk about before we get to the incredible dinner scene, which is when he initially asks her out on a date. And her response is, my father will never let this happen. Is she just jumping to conclusions about their future? Or is this supposed to serve as a reminder that she's not participating in her own life? I can't tell you because I, I don't buy her as ever being that interested in him until the end of the movie. She's so inconsistent. I cannot, I cannot believe anything that she says. Yeah. Oh, no. I'll give you that. It's totally a case of she didn't realize what she had until it was gone. But I'm wondering if this was sort of sloppy writing or if it was supposed to be a character moment where she's just so disciplined about taking over this shop. This is part of what comes along with it. And she's just going to have tunnel vision. Um, So then we do sort of see their first date and we get a scored song, sort of. Um, 
And to me, this is where I think it's also so hard to buy their relationship because this takes me right out of the movie. Um, this is composed by Thomas Newman, cousin of Randy, who is also Pixar royalty. And I mean, Thomas Newman has done so much in his own right. He did Shawshank Redemption. He did American Beauty. I mean, the list goes on and on. And he's worked, I believe he did Finding Dory. He's definitely worked with Pixar before. But um, they had him write a song that's not in Fireish, which is the language that they made up. It's just sort of vocals that could be any language USA. And I think that that, or not USA, but... Um, we, we get what you mean. I think that that was a really smart choice. That way it wasn't one specific culture that they were highlighting. And even the musical instruments that they chose come from all of these different cultures. So it's sort of like hints around that it's from a certain region, but it never actually lands there. So you can't really tell. And I think that stylistically that was very smart. But to have these words that aren't really words, it takes me out of it every single time. The animation, again, stunning throughout this date montage. But I don't know. I just feel like it's kind of jarring. I wish they had just scored it instead of trying to incorporate the words. So on to the dinner scene in the luxury apartment. I love that um, they do a few things here brilliantly. The uh, disparity between Firetown and this luxury apartment, it really, pun not really intended, it takes... It takes Ember out of her element, right? And puts her into a place where she never believed that she should be, never believed that she belonged. And you're almost waiting for her family to, like, backhand compliment, snicker in her direction, look down on the poor, the less fortunate, right? And that's not at all what happens. They take this idea and turn it on its head. Now, they do um, they do insert a few lines like, oh, your, your, your English is so well. You speak so well. And they do such the good job of still putting in innocent bias. You know, like somebody talking and not understanding that what they're saying is offensive. And Ember doesn't even necessarily call them on it, but we know that it's an accidental bias, that mm. it's an accidental insult. No, I think that she does because her response is pretty tongue-in-cheek, but he doesn't say English. He says, you speak so clearly, and her response is, it's amazing what speaking in one language your entire life will do. So she she takes the dig. But other than that, I agree with you. I love how Wade's family is just so accepting. Because you're thinking that they're going to be the exact opposite, right? This, Penthouse this apartment. Is where, you yeah, know. it subverts your expectations. Yeah, exactly. You know, how many times, like Cocktail is a great example of, you know, Brian Flanagan is not accepted in the penthouse apartment when he gets the rich guy's daughter pregnant because he's just a bartender. You know, he's seen it a thousand times. Not at all what they do here. Um where they do reinforce it, though, and this is a really great comedy beat, and this is where I'll sort of overlook Mom being the matchmaker. She follows Ember, and she has this full-on battle with the security guard at the apartment. It, it is hilarious. Right. Now, up to this point, Mom has been following Ember around because she she can smell the she love on her. She smells the love on her, yeah. Um, 
we haven't really seen it, but, you know, sure. Um, she smells the love on her. She's been following her around. She's, at this point, figured out that it's Water Guy, because that's what they keep calling Wade, is Water Guy. Right. Because they only know him as being this, like, meddling inspector that's giving them a hard time. She's not saying anything to Bernie, because Bernie's not going to accept that this is what's happening. And I love that uh, the little cousins, Marco and Polo, are there. Really good Pixar writing. And the, the set design, too, that their living room is essentially a pool with floaties in it. Yeah. Um, you have that, and then you have the crying game. Yes. Which, it's awkward, but in all of the ways that it is supposed to be. Half a butterfly. It's great. That, yes, that, <laughs> that kind of thing is hysterical. And when in 1970, ah, and she can't, she can't hold it together anymore. I'm, I can't even tell what they're saying because she's crying so much. I want to know exactly. I mean, I know the idea is that he doesn't finish the thought, but I kind of want to know what exactly is so triggering. Um, what I bump on about this scene, though, well, not this scene, because I do like the crying game, and I think it's a big deal that she says she never cries, and Wade, in fact, gets a tear out of her. Um, after this date night, after his mother is so accepting of not just her and their relationship, but of her art and her future, and she's hooking her up with a job, uh, Ember retracts back to, no, we can't do this anymore. And what she says is that you don't know me at all. That's just bad writing and I'm sorry because he just made you cry. He knows you well enough to make you cry when no one ever has. So I feel like if we, not that you need more pushback from her at this point, but since we're going to get it, you just could have written that differently. She could have said anything else. And then they sort of double down on this idea because she takes a lesson from Wade by realizing why she has a temper on the, on their drive back. She's got her moped motorcycle. Yeah. Um, she acknowledges what he said about sometimes when I feel I'm losing my temper, it's because it's my body's way of telling me I'm not happy right now or, or something to that effect. Yeah. Um, and that you need to pivot. So now you've learned something from him, but he doesn't know you at all. This is my my line in Coco that ruins the whole thing for me. The one that you get stuck on. Don't pick sides. Take my side. Yes. That's in it. Sequence. Right here for me. I get it now. I understand you. The other thing is that when her mother confronts them and she says, you stink. I can smell the love on you. It's so strong. Blah, blah, blah. They go to light these candles. And as the smoke intertwines, that's like the sign that love is real. Ember lights the candle. No problem. No problem. Wade at first can't light it because he's made of water. And Ember immediately like, Wade, you can't do it. And what does he do? He lifts his shirt. He stands in front of the fire because he knows that the light from the fire through the water will light the candle. And her mother believes because he's trying so hard. And he believes because he wants this to work. He believes because he wants this to work. He believes because he wants this to work. But this is where I sort of fall in love with Wade. Because no matter what, 
he's going to figure out a way to be with her. Yes. And so now I am him. fully rooting for you. Yes. We yeah. buy him. This is my this is the problem. Nothing that she has done up to this point other than her mother telling us that she loves him leads us to believe that that's actually the case. Right, because now we have another scene where they go out on a date and she's going to push him away again. This is where it starts to feel like too much, and I think that it would have benefit by having this wisteria, uh, the Vivisteria scene come maybe after she told him about it the first time, before she starts to realize that she loves him, before, she, before he made her cry, before she's meeting his family. This might have been a more strategic place to put it in the sequence especially because gail is back it's kind of an iou for figuring out the sand um he goes to take her to see the the vivisteria and this may be a place where they sacrifice the story a little bit to flex with the animation because again it's stunning you've got an old subway station where this flower grows um gail creates an air pocket for ember to go in and wade is pushing her along and they have 20 minutes um, but this is after the only reason they're going out on this date. It's not because he planned it. Although this is something I bump on too. You would have needed to plan it to get Gail there, but Ember is going to his house to break up with him and give him back the little glass ornament that she made them at the beach. Right. And he senses it coming and he's like, no, 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 no. Wait, let me just show you something. So then they have this really nice moment um they figure out that they can in fact touch without hurting each other which is a huge deal for them and i feel like that also should have come earlier because now it's like you have irrefutable proof ember that this can work so stop getting so hung up on everything i think what they needed to do was play more with the idea that she wanted this the whole time but she was afraid of disappointing her father Yes, because she's just so mean about it. That's the other thing. I mean, yes, they keep flashing back to the father. Yes, he's always in the back of her mind. But we've seen Wade, you know, pull out all the stops for her. And she is so mean. And yet he keeps coming back. And now I kind of go back to the other side of the fence of, I don't know that I can root for you because maybe you shouldn't be with her because she's being horrible to you. I mean, at one point she's like, you're just a rich kid, Wade. Like, camp comes out of nowhere. You know, the insult that she just throws at him. Like, there was such the opportunity, I think, to play with... Her mom could have been like a Yenta, right? Like, helping her the whole time, doing it behind closed doors, hiding it from Bernie. So we could have watched this relationship develop. We could have seen that she really does want this, we could have seen that she's secretly doing all of this behind her father's back while in the back of her mind being fearful that she could disappoint her father and we could have got some laughs out of it with mom. And seen a few more scenes where she herself is personally discriminated against so that she has more of a why to want to take over the shop beyond her father. That would... I think be believable enough for her to butt heads with Wade as far as I don't want to be with you, not just because of my father, but I don't want to deal with the looks in public. I don't want to deal with having to answer for our relationship. I'm just going to do this because it's easier for me. 
And then I would understand why she was pushing so hard, but we don't really get any of that. Instead, we get Ember being mad over an internship that Wade's mother called in a favor for. It's angry for angry's sake. Yes. The the insults are insults for insult's sake. And then, out of nowhere, her father, who now knows that she's in love with somebody but doesn't know who, all he knows is that not only has she been missing in action because, she, to his knowledge, she's just missing in action chasing a boy around, he doesn't know that they're trying to keep the shop from being shut down, that they're working on this together. All he knows is that she's gone. But now she's ready to take over. Yes. You've disappeared. You're lying about something. But now you're responsible enough. The last time you were here, you exploded. You showed us that you explode. Okay, we're going to give it to you. It just seems like the man couldn't wait to retire. And it's just what he wanted. He just wanted to be done. They do try to cover it with a throwaway line that... uh... Ember says that because of her ineptitude, he should have retired a couple of years ago and he couldn't yet. But we need to see that from him in this moment of, you know what, if she's ready or not, I have to step back. So you get this reopening of Ember's fireplace on a day's notice. And here comes Wade to confess his love in front of everybody He exposes the fact that she burst the pipe. How do you feel about this whole thing? This is where I find it hard for them to be convincing as a couple because he's professing his love and she was just so horrible to him. And you have Cinder is trying to now convince Bernie that this is fine. And... He doesn't even seem that upset with Cinder for having lied, but that's because Cinder played very little role in uh, in any of this. Right. And instead, he just throws his hands up and goes, I'm not going to retire. That's it. I'm done. I go back to running the, shor- the store. I'm not retiring. And then you get Ember sort of runs off just to be with her thoughts, and Wade chases after her again. Like... She just rejected you in front of the entire community and you're still blindly chasing her. Not just that. She cuts deep. She she looks him right in the eye and says, I don't love you. And I mean, I love that he does believe in their relationship so much. But at the same time, it's like, maybe give her a couple of days to cool off. Not only give her a couple of days to cool off, she should have to come back to him. Yes. And instead... She runs back into town, warning everybody that there's a flash flood. Um, and she goes back into the shop to save the the blue fire for her father. Yeah. And they get stuck in, this is again, where Cinder should not have had a side business because they get stuck in her room and it, it turns into a kiln. Um, Wade comes back for her to save her. Why? I mean, I know he doesn't want anything to happen to her. If, if you love someone... You don't want to see them physically harmed, even if you're mad at them. But, like, she doesn't necessarily deserve you to be a knight in shining armor right now. Well, not only that, but at this point, I, I'll be honest, like, it, it seems less of a relationship and more like a stalker. You know, like, he just won't let her go. Right. I mean, the problem is, 
we're told that she loves him. We don't see that she loves him. There is at no point that I see that she loves him. There's an easy fix for that. Instead of him showing up to save the day and sacrificing himself, which she let him do all too willingly, she should have done it to really prove her love for him. I mean, then you don't get the crying to come back, but you maybe could have done it by way of the blue flame to bring her back. Um, But she's done nothing to prove that she cares. He does it all. You get another round of the crying game, which I thought was smart. I thought that was a smart payoff. Yes. If if we have to go this route, bringing him back in that way totally made sense. But I just don't think, I will maintain it shouldn't have been his sacrifice. We don't need to fall in love with him anymore. That's the thing. Like We've done that. We've already done it. We need to, we need to like her. And it's not that I don't like her as a character. I don't like her with him. And yeah. at this point, for me personally, it was a little too little too late. Yeah, I agree. Um, And it's all in service of them showing everybody that elements can mix and that her father sees that elements can mix and that he gives her the bow of honor that he did not get from his father. That that the whole thing is in service of that. I mean, you you need that. You need to punctuate their story because more than anything else, this is a story about father and daughter than it is a love story. And I think that because they try so hard to make it a love story, because they're trying very hard to send home this really great message that elements can mix, and I feel like that gets lost. I think the father-daughter story, which is, I think, what this really is about, I think that that gets lost. Or if it's not that it gets lost, it's that... They're trying too hard to tell both stories. They also could have flipped the ending where instead of going off for this internship, she sort of gets the best of both worlds and stays loyal to her parents. And maybe she's not going to run the fire shop, but maybe she's going to run Ember's art gallery. So she's got the building. She's going to make all her art pieces and work out of there. Right. Because we know that her mother's already subletting a closet to be a matchmaker. (laughs) There's nothing that says that she couldn't take, and that would have been a great opportunity if they eliminated a couple of shelves because now we're going to be inclusive and we're going to sell things that, yes, it's it's the fireplace. We have things for fire, but we also have things for water. We have things for land. We have things for air. Invite everybody in, and now she's got her corner of the store where she's also going to sell her artwork. Yes. You even have Wade's family who are artists because they mentioned the painting. You could be selling his family stuff. Could have been, could have been a bit different. Do, the ending is not bad where they go off. I mean, it's worth it for the bow, but like, they could have addressed everything had they just done it through the shop. Are we ready to talk about our cast? Yes, absolutely. Leah Lewis plays Ember. Um, I, for the final time, I like Ember as a character. I do not like her with Wade. I think that Leah Lewis gave her just the right amount of feist and spunkiness. Um, And I thought that her performance was really good. My issues are less with the actress and more about the character. Because other than being feisty, there's just not much there. There's not 
an added layer that makes us fall in love with our leading lady. And I think that we really do need it. But um, I like the vocal performance otherwise. And Leah Lewis is such a big Disney fan. She actually grew up in Orlando. Um, and I believe her family were CM. So she got to come quite a bit. And she's just like on cloud nine over being able to voice a Pixar character. Mamudu Afi plays Wade Ripple. This is the best character in the movie. Hands down. And you mark my words. This is not the last time we're going to see him. This guy's voice is so buttery smooth. He's going to be a Disney prince one day. I think so. I think he's got that very... Just that, not not quite a stoic quality, but he's got like that prestige about it. But he, he goes back and forth so nicely, like with the crying and then being soft-spoken when he needs to give Ember advice. Um, yeah, amazing performance. Hands down, best character, best actor in this film. Ronnie Del Carmen plays Bernie. I thought he was funny. I sold the idea. Or I bought the idea. I think they sold it really well that he does have a bias, that he does have a prejudice, that he is close-minded, and that he's the one that we're going to have to flip by the end of the film. And amazingly, in spite of the fact that they do, in my opinion, a poor job of building the relationship, the love story, they do as equally a good job of getting him to be convinced that water isn't bad for them. Agreed, yeah. And Um, I thought that, you know... I, I really liked him. He was funny when he had to be. He was mean-spirited when he had to be. He was soft when he had to be. It's just a very well-rounded character. And and the hard working came through in the vocal performance, too. Not just in seeing him, you know, in all these scenes taking care of his shop. Um, yeah, no, he was great. And I really like the character design, too. Really, of, of both parents. Yeah. And Sheila Almi plays Cinder. There was just a little bit more opportunity with her. And I just wish that they would have played with it a little bit more. To your point, we saw how funny it was when she was following them and the skirmish she has with the security guard, with the you know, with the doorman. I wish that we would have just gotten a little bit more of that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you have Wendy McClendon Covey playing Gail Cumulus. We stan Wendy McClendon Covey on this podcast. And the same for Catherine O'Hara, who plays Brooke. I was stunned. I had no idea that she was going to be in this, but her voice is so uncanny. As soon as they got to Wade's family scene, I was like, oh my God, that's Catherine O'Hara. So I love that she's dipping her toes in the Pixar water. And I thought she was great, especially with with the elaborate crying. That's where it was funny. With Wade, it was sort of annoying. With her, it was very funny. Final thoughts on Elemental. Despite my issues with some of the character development and the story... Um, I enjoy this more and more every time I watch it. I think that there's always something new to see because the animation is so stunning. And I also think that there's more and more to take away each time. Um, And what impresses me the most about it, aside from the incredible animation, um, is that Peterson just had this way, um, a very effective way of communicating where he was able to inject so much of his personal story into this film and yet give everyone something to identify with, which I, I think is hard because I think a lesser director would have, it would have been too personal. Um, so I, I think that he really does 
connect with his audience here and the American experience um, really well. I mean, you know, my family, I'm fourth generation. We came through Ellis Island and watching this when they're entering from from those first couple of minutes of screen time, like I absolutely saw my own family in this film. So I think that that was just done really well. And I love that he was able to pull all of that off without seeming like it was forcing his own agenda. Um, so not what I thought I was going to come away with was Peter San's redemption arc after the good dinosaur, but here we are happy I, for him. I think that um, I think he developed an incredible concept I love the motivation behind the concept. I love the personal story. To your point, he made it something that everybody could identify with. You know, my family was the same way. Came through Ellis Island. I'm third generation in this country, but know the stories of no Irish need apply. You know what I'm saying? So, like, everybody has that personal connection, right? So I think that that checks an awful lot of boxes. I, repeating myself. The relationship, I, I just, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't care for it. That to me is what is holding, for me, is what's holding the film back from being in my top 10 for Pixar. I think that upon rewatches, I appreciate more of the film in terms of the filmmaking. I appreciate more in regards to the animation. But to me the needle hasn't necessarily moved. I still put this middle of the road, as I've said at nauseum on multiple occasions, middle of the road Pixar is top of the line for any other studio. I still believe that to be true. If DreamWorks had put this out, it would be one of the best they ever made. It's Pixar. It's a good movie. Yep, it's a good movie. It, it kind of just lives in the middle of being a good film. And it just... I wish that they would have just developed their relationship more and made it believable. Because to me, it's less about Ember and Wade and more just about Wade at this point in time. Agreed. But uh, we are interested in hearing what you have to say about Elemental. You can join the conversation on social media at Monoreal Radio on all major platforms or send us an email monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the Week and a contest winner are coming up, but first a quick break. News of the Week is proudly sponsored by KMV Travel. KMV Travel is a boutique travel agency that helps families plan personalized vacations and create unforgettable memories in the happiest place on earth. If you've dreamed of visiting Waltz Park or racing with Lightning McQueen in Cars Land, a KMV Travel specialist will work with you to customize the perfect getaway for you and your family. Your KMV Travel Advisor will ensure you know the ins and outs of the My Disneyland app, assist with dining reservations, and of course, share their favorite hacks so you can get the most out of your vacation. Visit kmvtravel.com to soar over to California now. If you're thinking of booking a trip to a Disney destination, you have to contact Jackie Zalezi. My husband and I recently celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary and wanted to go on a trip just the two of us. Jackie suggested Disneyland, knowing we'd never been and I had been dreaming of going. I am so thankful for her suggestion, as it was the most magical way to celebrate. Jackie got us a fantastic deal, but still constantly check for discounts to make sure we are guaranteed the lowest price. 
Having recently visited Disneyland, she was a great source for helpful information and had suggestions for everything, including meals, Max Pass, even places to visit in Los Angeles on our non-park day. Upon arrival at our hotel, we experienced the easiest check-in because Jackie had taken care of everything. Throughout our trip, Jackie was in constant contact, making sure we had everything we needed and answering any questions we had. Our vacation was perfect. Oscar nominations were announced this week. It's one of my favorite days of the year. March 10th of 2024 will be the night of the Academy Awards. Disney got 20 nominations. 11 of them belong to Poor Things, which was a Searchlight film. Disney obviously acquired Searchlight when they bought Fox, and we mentioned that a couple of weeks ago when the Golden Globe nominations came out. Um, of the 11 nominations that that film got, um, a few noteworthy ones, because I'm not going into all of them. Best Picture, Best Directing, Best Actress, Emma Stone, Best Supporting Actor, Mark Ruffalo. That's not really a surprise. No. Um, I mean, they delivered incredible performances, and she did get the Golden Globe, so she's on track to win, but I think uh, Lily Gladstone's going to give her a run for the money from Killers of the Flower Moon. The Creator, which was another 20th Century Studios film, got two nominations for Best Sound and Best Visual Art. Bobby Wine, the People's President, got a nomination for Best Documentary. That was a Nat Geo documentary. Elemental did get nominated for Best Animated Feature Film. So I am pulling for Peter Song. Absolutely. But having just discussed it the way that we did, though, with the story issues, with not believing their relationship, do you think it is deserving of the nomination? Or do we think that in a year where there wasn't much... And I mean, really, Disney's got this and Wish to put up. And Wish didn't get it. I'm saying, so are we scraping the bottom of the barrel or do we... Th I mean... I mean, I, mean I, don't, I don't want to use the term bottom of the barrel. No, because the animation is so stunning. I think it's got the merit on that alone. I think it's probably going to win. What's, what is Trolls or Migration going to win? I don't even know if they got nominated, but I'm just thinking of like... if What Wish came out this year, What yeah. came out this year? If Wish didn't get a nomination, frankly, like, if Wish would have gotten a nomination, I would have given it to Wish before I gave it to this, I think. Probably. Um, it, I, I think it probably does win. I hope it does. I think Peter Stone deserves it. Absolutely, Award. yeah. For, for that much, just the way that he balanced those three core stories together, like, absolutely, he deserves it. Uh, Flaming Hot, Searchlight. Um, got nominated for Best Music Song Original. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, Here nominated for Best Visual Effects. Uh, yes. How about this one? This will surprise some people. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny got a nomination for Best Music Original Score, John Williams. I I mean, John Williams, yeah. But I think in a year where... And I actually liked Dial of Destiny. I think Dial of Destiny getting an Academy Award nomination was not on anybody's bingo card this year. I would agree with that. Not for the film, but I mean, John Williams, like, of course he's a shoe in Yep. Uh, the Last Repair Shop, uh, Best Documentary Shorts, uh, Searchlight, and Nay Nay and Wow Poe got a Best uh, Short Film Documentary nomination on Disney+. Plus. 
But what, I mean, it goes back to the Golden Globes, right? What do we see a lot of? Searchlight, searchlight, searchlight. Not a lot that says Disney. Well, in all fairness, this year was a little thin because they did push a few things back. But what I'm waiting for is the other shoe to drop. You love poor things now that it's getting all this publicity. What happens when the three-year-old finds it on Hulu? Which shouldn't be on Disney+. Plus? Yeah, that. Well, they're going to sit there and tell the parents that they should have updated their parental settings. That's what they're going to say. I don't think it belongs up there. I, I don't think Hulu should be on Disney+. Plus. Um, and yeah, I mean, responsibility does fall on the parents. They should be keeping an eye on their parental settings. But they shouldn't also have to worry about parental settings on Disney+. Plus. Bingo. I'm just saying. Um, all right, let's give away a prize. We have a really, really nice Funko Pop. It's an aerial Funko Pop um, for the live-action remake of The Little Mermaid. Thank you to everybody that entered to win this contest. The winner of the Funko Pop is Gal on Instagram. So we will get your shipping information, and we will get your prize pack sent out to you. Thank you for entering to win. Thank you so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Monorail Radio will always be free, but there are ways that you can help support the show. Please give us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Join the conversation on social media at Monorail Radio on all major platforms. Share your favorite episodes with family and friends who may uh, enjoy them. And of course, book your next trip with Jackie. Links to everything can be found at monorealradio.com. We all get one story. Make yours a magical one. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.